Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are beginning this new series called Famous, uh, Famous Last Words. And perhaps it reveals my, my own sinful nature a little bit, but when I hear that phrase, famous last words, I, I tend to think of uh, kind of like a, a boastful statement that somebody makes shortly before they're going to do something they're probably going to end up regretting. Like the first time that I went skiing with my college friends, who said, oh, no, it's, just, it's really easy. Don't, you don't have to worry about going down the bunny hill. You, know, you can just, don't have to practice too much. You, you, just, you can do it, Ben. Just go right down the, you know, the Black Diamond Hill. We'll, we'll all be there. You know. And then I said, yeah, I mean, you know, how hard could it be for, for a guy like me? You know? <laughs> so I would have probably completely deserved it if one of my friends there had been like, yeah, Ben, famous last words. As they then watched me go, you know, head over skis, tumbling down the hill, needing some help to get off the hill. Right? Famous last words are what sometimes we, we rightly or foolishly end up being known for. So what about Jesus then? In this series, Famous Last Words, we're, we're going to be looking at the words that Jesus spoke while he was dying. These words then that he speaks are, are literally his last words that he speaks while he's being crucified. Not only that, these are the, the very words that God has chosen to have preserved and passed down for us in the Bible, even to this modern day. So these are some really important, really powerful words that we need to hear. And as we listen to these words, we're going to see these, these aren't the words of a, of a fool who would come to regret what he said, but these are the words of the only one who was ever so determined to show his love even for foolish and sinful people. That these are the words of, of Jesus that reveal his unwavering love for sinners even in the face of his own unfathomable suffering and death. So the first of these famous last words that we're going to look at here today are these words Jesus spoke when probably he was, you know, shortly after he'd been nailed and lifted up on the cross, says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Here's Luke's account to put it into context. In Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 32, it says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. So here, here is Jesus hanging there 
on the cross, his hands and feet fastened with iron nails to its rough-hewn pieces of wood. There's nothing easy or pretty about crucifixion. It was, it was brutal. Jesus has been stripped, beaten, and bloodied. The Romans, through much practice, used crucifixion and perfected it, in a sense, as an art of torture and execution, usually for slaves, criminals, rebels, traitors, was generally considered punishment for the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst. It was a most humiliating way to die. It was certainly a most painful way to die. There was nothing easy about being crucified. It's literally where we get in English the word excruciating, which comes from the, the phrase from the cross. That's what it means. So every breath of a crucified person was, was agony, as a person hung suspended in the air, their body's weight slowly causing them to suffocate to death. Historians have therefore noted that oftentimes those criminals being crucified, that with their last difficult, agonizing breath, they would so choose to use their words to curse and to condemn their executioners. And friends, is that, is that not what you or I might have done? If we found ourselves in such an unjust situation, I myself find that I get easily offended and slights that work get me all worked up for much less than what Jesus endured. My mind is quick to formulate sharp and sarcastic comments that my lips are all too quick and ready to speak. My heart all too ready to hang on to a bitter grudge to the very end. And don't you find, too, that sometimes when, it's being, when you're being criticized or being made fun of, that it's easiest and most natural to lose your temper after all they deserved it? What a striking contrast, then, we see and hear with Jesus, huh? Because instead of lashing out in anger, instead of speaking a vengeful, spiteful curse, what does Jesus do? He prays. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And yet, I don't know about you, but I think to myself, how, how could you say this, Jesus? Of course they knew. The people in the crowds knew. They knew the miracles that you performed. They knew the people that you had saved. They knew even as they shouted, crucify him. Those Jewish leaders, they certainly knew. They incited the crowd to speak those words, crucify, despite the fact they knew plain well that every accusation against Jesus was a baseless lie. They paid bribes. They knew. Pontius Pilate, he knew. He knew Jesus was innocent. He even feigned you know, passing off his guilt, washing his hands when it was his responsibility. He knew. The Roman soldiers doing their duty, gambling for his clothes at the foot of the cross, they knew, too, that king of the Jews was no just cause for a crucifixion. And yet they all said nothing to help. They did nothing to help. And what of, what of your so-called disciples, Jesus? What did they do for you in the hour of your greatest need? Of course, Jesus, they all knew, but they did nothing. How then can you pray? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Friends, what about you? What have you done? What are you doing? Is it what God's word tells you to do? How often could it be said of you that you knew exactly what God's word says you were to do, but you instead chose not to do it? How often could it be said of you that you knew exactly that to do that, to, 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 to cheat, to gossip, to lie, to look, or to touch? You knew that was wrong, but you chose to do it anyway. How often could it be said of you that you knew exactly what you could have done to show love to somebody in the moment of their need, but you chose not to because you were too busy or too lazy or too selfish to care? I know that God's word says that I should serve and and love my neighbor out of love for my Lord, but how many times haven't I put myself first and instead complained about how inconvenient it is to be asked to love somebody who's so needy and so inconvenient? How many times? I know God's word says I should be grateful for all my blessings and not covet another's situation, but how many times haven't I grumbled and complained about my lot in life compared to somebody else? Isn't it true, friends, that we too are people who know exactly what we're doing? But I think that's what makes Jesus' words from the cross all the more powerful, isn't it? Because yet still, Jesus prays. And as the Bible testifies in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, yes, Jesus prays also for you and for me when he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So what is it then that they, right, didn't know? What is it that you and I don't know in those moments when we have turned away from our God and chosen to do our own thing? What is it that we don't know? What is it, friends? It's it's the real cost of it. It's the actual dreadful penalty for what we've taken so lightly and for such grudging love that we have so little to give the awful punishment that the very Son of God endured in those hours when he hung there, suspended between heaven and earth under the the, the wrathful judgment of God for human sin. What you and I don't know and can hardly fathom is that we are the ones who deserve the spitting and the beating and the mocking and the crown of thorns and, and the nails. And what you and I don't know and can't ever understand by reason alone is that these were just the outward, temporary torments that he endured. The far worse judgment was the torment of hell. What we don't know is how horrible our sin really is and its consequences under the wrath of God. Who alone truly knows the true cost of the whole world's sins against God? Well, only Jesus does. Jesus, you alone, 
know the depth of the Father's wrath against my sin. Jesus, you alone know the punishment that my sins earned and deserved. And Jesus, you alone know. And not just in some theoretical way. Jesus, you know because you experienced it. You experienced exactly the cost of the whole world's sin. Yes, my own rebellious sin against a holy God. And friends, who is Jesus? He's, he's no mere human being like you and me. He is at the same time also the holy and righteous Son of God, the author of life, the King of kings, the Lord of glory. If we truly knew this, who of us would ever dare think so lightly about the sins that we cherish in our hearts? And yet along with the soldiers and the chief priests and the crowds and even Jesus' own disciples who fell asleep on him in the Garden of Gethsemane and then, and then fled nowhere to be seen, we too have crucified Jesus by our sins. And yet still he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I mean, just think, friends. Jesus, as these dreadful hours on the cross have just begun, is praying, praying for the very people who were nailing him to the cross and mocking and ridiculing him. He's praying for their forgiveness. He's praying for their forgiveness of the very ones whose sins had nailed him to the cross. And as our risen and ascended Lord now in glory, he's the one who continues to intercede for and pray for people like us in our sins. Father, forgive. Forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Friends, do you see? Our need is also so very great. But his love remains even greater. His love does not change. Does this not, though, change how you think about your sin? Does it not move you to want to draw close to your God? Does it not also move you to want to seek out and to serve and to love even those people who are hard and difficult and inconvenient and sometimes unlovable? The crucifixion is a crime forgiven by the crucified himself. Marvel on that. Because you know what that means? The crucifixion is, is a crime that's been forgiven by the very crucified one himself. That means that there is no deed that you have ever done, no word that you have ever spoken, no loving thing you've ever left undone that's not already been forgiven by the holy precious blood of the very Son of God who gave up his life voluntarily as a sacrifice on the holy altar of the cross. Jesus never wavered in his commitment or mission to obtain the very forgiveness for which he prays for the people who should have known better. The very thing he continues to do at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me as our great high priest. And in all this, Jesus fulfilled one prophecy after another proving uniquely who he is, the very Son of God, that there is no Savior like him. There is none other. There is no other name by which we must be saved. 800 years before 
what takes place here on Golgotha, Calvary. The prophet Isaiah said this about Jesus. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. On my walk here to church this morning, I ran into one of my neighbors with whom I'm developing a friendship. And so he said to me, so, uh, Pastor, what's, uh, what's the message going to be about this weekend? And I kind of sketched out a little bit what this series was going to be about. And I said, today I think I'm going to be talking about what Jesus thinks about cancel culture. <laughs> have, have you heard that phrase? Cancel culture? It's kind of this phenomenon in our world today that's causing so much tension and hostility between people. It's this kind of, I don't know, modern form of, of ostracizing somebody, right? Either by blocking them on social media, cutting off communication, or if possible, by, by firing them and cutting all ties and associations with them, you know, that, that kind of thing. Usually because somebody somewhere found something they said or may have said, maybe from years ago even, that doesn't pass the propriety rules of society, or at least in someone's judgment, it doesn't. And so they're canceled. And thus, cancel culture has kind of become this way to cancel a person, making them pay for breaking social rules. And taken to an extreme, people all over are on the hunt, right, to try and find anything that somebody has ever said or done so that 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 they might drag this out and present this so that they can cancel a person and have grounds for doing it. So cancel culture in our world, this, this has resulted in and continues to result in just many people's reputations, lives, and livelihoods being destroyed. The consequences of a loss of reputation and income are hard to recover from. Meanwhile, those who are doing the canceling often do it with this kind of attitude by which they feel morally righteous, right? So I guess you could say that religion, and even in a secular society, is, is alive and well in this self-righteous sense. And the result? The result is everybody's angry, right? Twitter is a savage place. Hatred abounds in the world. In politics, people can't wait to get back at their opponents. It's like that's the whole platform. It's just I'm going to get back at somebody. And why? Because, friends, we still don't know what we are doing. Because we still, in our world, do not know a thing about forgiveness apart from Christ. In cancel culture, there's plenty of bitterness. There's plenty of hatred. There's a vast reservoir of revenge, right? But there is precious little forgiveness. How could there be? When we lose sight of the very one, the the only perfectly holy and righteous one, Jesus, right? The very son of God himself, who even as he was being ridiculed and mocked, and utterly humiliated for sins he did not commit, what did he do? He didn't retaliate. But instead, he prayed. He prayed, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they are doing. So here's the way forward, right? Here's a, a new and different kind of cancel culture that has always been intrinsically unique to Christianity. You see, while, while cancel culture and, you know, our world around us, and, and I would just, I, I'm in that too, sadly. In our world, we are so quick to not just point out, you know, what's wrong, but to cancel a person, right? To destroy a person, Jesus is the one who cancels the terrible things that people like us do. Jesus cancels the terrible things that cancer, uh, um, cancel culture cancels people for. You get what I'm saying? He extends grace. And that's why our unique hallmark as Christians in this world is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. We give up our sense of self-righteous anger. We give up our need to hold a grudge. We let go of our feelings to make them pay. And we choose a uniquely different way. We choose, like Jesus, to love our enemies. And instead of canceling them, we choose to pray for them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Because that, after all, is what Jesus did for us. So check this out. Colossians, it says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Let's pray. Dear Father, Father, forgive us, for we know not what we do. Help us to forgive others as Jesus Christ, your Son, has forgiven us all at the holy altar of the cross where he gave up his sinless life as the atoning sacrifice for all our sins. Turn the hearts of our enemies to your Son, in whom there is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Heal our hearts and the people of our land. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Jesus Christ, amen.